Welcome to the Morse Code Podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurially-minded creatives in music, film, and writing. My name is Corby, and I'm hoping these conversations inspire you to push deeper into your own work, whether you're a full-time professional or just starting out on your own creative odyssey. Today's guest is director, writer, and actor Travis Nicholson. Travis has worked with such luminary talents as Clint Eastwood, the Coen Brothers, and Harmony Kareem. In 2015, he co-created, co-wrote, and starred in Still the King, a comedy starring Billy Ray Cyrus that ran for two seasons on CMT. Also, Travis collaborated with me on our dramedy pilot, Morse Code, a story about an East Nashville musician trying to make good in music without alienating everyone around him. Travis directed the pilot and co-wrote the script. Morse Code is currently on the film festival circuit where it's received several awards, including an Audience Choice Award from the Nashville Film Festival, an award for Best Pilot from the Ramsgate International Film Festival, and an award for Best Lead Actor from the NYC Television Festival, among others. I've known Travis for several years now and count him among my favorite creative people anywhere. If you get something out of the Morse Code podcast, please like and subscribe. And now, here's my conversation with Travis Nicholson. Dude, thanks for making some time for me. Yeah, man. I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, happy, and, happy to be here. Um, I thought maybe we could start our conversation with uh, something that I not overheard, but I was there for just a few days ago. You had your um, your buddy Chris had a birthday party. Uh-huh. We were at your house. Uh-huh. And um, it was a little bit of a family affair. Like his parents were there. Yeah. And uh, you've known Chris since you were like four. Yeah. Or like, yeah, three or four years old. Yeah. And consequently, probably Chris's parents were around then too. Yeah. Uh, and they were there at this party. And I think it was Chris's dad was like, man, Travis. Oh yeah, Travis. When he was a kid, man, he was just, he was just telling stories all the time. Story after story. In fact, one day I looked out the picture window into the backyard and there was Travis by himself. Just like, you know, you could just see his hands moving. He was like telling a story to like the birds or I wasn't really sure. And I thought that was a... We all got a laugh out of that, and I was like, "That's a glimpse into uh, the young the portrait that portrait of an artist as a young man." Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Um, well, do you think it was accurate? Probably. I think also, yeah, I just love to make stuff up, and I I would entertain my friends' parents by just telling them stuff that they knew wasn't true, and I knew they knew it wasn't true, but I would just tell them whatever the hell I was coming up with. I guess also his yeah his house back then and still they still live there it just backs up into the woods so you can stand on the back porch and just stare up into the woods and um maybe i felt inspired by the, the woodland spirits <laughs> a natural stage of sorts or maybe i knew they were there i mean that's you did it's, it's very possible that you i knew that they were there and pretended like i was talking to somebody because that's something i definitely would have pulled as a kid well and we kind of grew up uh, in the same generation, uh, you know, sans cell phone and all of the camera and tech that went with that. So we had to go find, we had to go find ourselves cameras, the big heavy ones, at yeah. least is where I started. And did you do that? Did you get into like VHS yeah, home oh, yeah. movies and stuff? Um, God, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of um, like uh, digitizing, I don't know how, maybe a hundred plus mini DV tapes. So that started probably, well, like in third grade, my buddy Andrew, his grandmother loaned us a VHS camera and everything. I mean, before that we'd been doing like media, like we made, um, 
like radio plays. So, yeah. and we had figured like out on cassettes. You know, yeah, exactly. Right? Totally. And you know, Same. we realized there's like three things, right? There's music, sound effects, and people talking. And so we would have, we had these, we bought these uh, CDs that would be like, you know, a hundred greatest symphonies. And so you'd have like all these flavors, you know, all, all these different emotions, you know, like, and just feel, you know, you'd be like, oh, that's funny. And there'd be like Chopin in the background. And then there'd be a, a sound effects. And then there'd be a guy in the foreground going like, you know, do you have diarrhea? You know, <clears throat> make these commercials and Pure really, comedy. really into that. Yeah. You can imagine what the sound effects would have been. I won't, I won't do that for you now. But um, do you, and you have the, do you have the radio tapes still? I don't know. I doubt Maybe. it. But, but there was like you know, I remember uh, our friend Elijah had these two characters, and it was these these two women. And looking back now, it's like oh, they were a, a committed lesbian couple. I just didn't even. I don't think we even knew. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. but these two women, they travel. They love each other. They travel the world together. And these all these episodes he do of these two women that were just. Uh, go he would read about somewhere in the world and he'd just say you know this is where this is where they're traveling to like, all right and then uh we had a camera and then it was like oh my god it just completely yeah. changed because it was like we can just do so much more and and having that basis of like okay we'll put sp sound effects to what happens you'd, you'd been training i feel like we we're ahead of the game because like yeah. you know just and it'd be somebody off camera just you know clapping their hands together when somebody punches or whatever sure but, uh, but it's, so yeah. did you um I remember when I had my foray into this, same thing, me and my little brother making the, the, the radio program tapes. And yeah. I think I, my mom still has one precious memories. Uh, -huh. uh, but when we got that first VHS, we didn't know that you could like, that there was, you know, such gear that could be had at Radio Shack or whatever that you could edit after the fact. And so we did all of the editing, you know, in the, in the camera, just by like, we're shooting this. Okay, stop. And yeah. then go to the next scene and shoot the. And it was only later that we figured out, maybe like two years later. Oh, you can put it in this, and then now you can. Yeah. Do an edit after after the fact. Yeah, and that and was, editing happened way later for me. Like you know, I knew that it was possible. I just didn't have a tech, you know, understanding of. You know, there's those things you could. I think it was called like a video toaster or something, and you could put two mm. VCRs and do a switchboard and you could yes. do a fader. All that stuff was like, when we got that, it was like whoa. What was great about before that was editing a camera, you know, it forced you to really think about, I, I want to do an establishing shot. So you'd run outside and you'd shoot, you know, your house from across the street. And then you'd run back in and somebody would be like, did you hear something? You know, and then you'd go back outside and you'd shoot again, you know. Um, and then if you messed up a take, I we discovered edit search. You could rewind over the oh. footage. You'd go like, you'd like do a slow motion rewind over yeah. And so you watching the little viewfinder. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because back then they didn't have little, little viewfinder Nobody screens. Was. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go like, all right. And so inevitably you'd have a little like, blip, you know, in the, mm -hmm. all these little things. The little then, between yeah. scenes, yeah. like little squeals of glimpses of some other unwanted scene that yeah. the world wasn't supposed to see. But now, you know, I'm, I'm digitizing all these old tapes that, that are just the raw footage. Oh. We do edit sometimes we, you know, we'd figured out how to edit enough. Um, but, what's so great about them is we started leaving in the bad takes. So like, it's just all of us, like our voices hadn't changed yet. We're just like laughing, like just be like, hee, 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 you know, like somebody to mess up a line or forget <laughs> something. And it's all there. And it's like, I don't want to take any of that. It's, yeah. That's the best stuff. You know, it's what makes it really fun. Yeah, it's better than the actual movies yeah. for sure. So, okay. So what, where did you make the leap? Cause you had some, um, early, 
I don't know what I want to say. You're involved in some pretty big pictures, even when you were really young. And how did how did that happen? You're you were part of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Was it maybe a PA or I was a uh, tell us more. I don't know if there's a small a lower position because I, <laughs> I was a, uh, a I was a intern, uh, not for school credit. Just they called me an intern, and I was working with the craft service department. So I was just like an unpaid water boy on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it was the best. I think of the best movie experience I've still ever had because it was just first big movie set I'd ever been on. It's the Coen brothers. They're my heroes. They're the people that I first discovered what, like what tone means, you know, like where I'd seen, I think, uh, raising Arizona. And then, um, I saw part of the Hudsucker pra- proxy and I just noticed there's something I was like this intangible thing that was happening in the Hudsucker proxy that reminded me of, raising Arizona and then to, to read the back. Oh my God. Okay. It's the same guys. Okay. Why? Mm. And then, so by the time a brother was getting filmed, which they didn't even have a, t- have a title for that movie yet. I just knew the Coen brothers were making a movie in uh, Mississippi and a girl in my writing class. So I was in film school at this point. I was at mm. Watkins film school here. And I just over, I was in class. Everyone had left. I just I left something in there. I went back in. I heard my, my professor talking to this girl about, the Coen brothers are making a movie in Jackson, Mississippi. And I just said, Hey, is there anything? He goes, well, you know, they, there are a couple, couple people got a job on the set. I was like, okay, can I send in a resume? And a resume for me was, there's nothing. I was like, I PA oh, movies, use videos. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, send in a thing, whatever I came up with. And then of course they said, we don't need anybody. Doctored it up, sent it in again, nothing. So I begged this girl in my writing class, if I could just ride there with her, just go to the set with her, just to see it, see if I could see anything. Mm-hmm. And so her and her and another girl were splitting. A, you, like at this know, point, you'd never been on a big movie set or anything no, close, or maybe not, some music videos. Yeah, but. like I think they they'd made some indie movies around town. Like uh, they, uh, I got to go visit the set of like a, uh, an Ernest movie, I think, mm. at one point. But if I heard there's a movie, that was my play. I just you know, one time I found they're they're shooting a movie at a. And I look back now and it's a really small movie. I was like, this is incredible, you know? And they gave me like, I think free pasta for lunch and let me watch the monitors. And they're shooting in a high school movie that I never saw came out. But uh, anyway, um, so yeah, this girl and another girl, they're splitting a paycheck for extras wardrobe assistance. So basically going around in Jackson, Mississippi, trying to find, um, uh, they built all the, you know, the chain gang guys. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted extras so I was going around to like, you know, like shipping yards in Jackson, Mississippi with this guy, Blake McClure, who I met driving down there at my film school. Now he's a great uh, DP, really successful. Um, uh, and we were asking people if they wanted to play convicts in a movie. And, Just uh, walking up to, to oh, yeah. randos. I mean, a couple of guys were like, I am a convict. You know, like, oh, well, all right, great. <laughs> You're and, perfect. You know, and so I did that for a while and then they they snuck me into the cast and crew opening party. That was first, actually. Snuck me into the opening party as, like, their date. So me and Blake got to go with these two girls. And um, they, I, there's Francis McDormand. There's Joel and Ethan Cohen. You know, there's, there's you know, these people are all walking around. And I met this woman named Nancy James, who was, uh, I think, pretty drunk. And she was just like, oh, honey, you can just come work with me. She was in Nacogdoches, Mississippi or Louisiana. And she, uh, 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 just said, come work with me. And so I was like, okay. 
And it was the best thing because I was craft service, so I could go to every department. Like, I'd bring the Coen Brothers a coffee in the morning, and then I'd have to drive the golf cart over here and pick up the trash at this place. And then I'd be over here checking on the, uh, you know, wardrobe if they need anything. And Perfect. It was 100 degrees, 100% humidity every day. So it was, I was, water was important. That was an important thing. And uh, Francis McDormand had a son, has a son named Pedro, who's three at the time. And uh, I wore a cowboy hat all summer to keep the sun off me and everything. And so I think he just thought, people called me Tex. I think he thought I was like a cowboy and he asked me and I said, yes, of course. And uh, she would just follow me around on set sometimes. And um, Fran just started asking me if I babysit him uh, when she was like at lunch so she could take a walk with Joel or whatever. Mm. So now I'm in Joel Cohen's trailer watching A Bug's Life, eating Pringles with a three-year-old in the air conditioning and they'd throw me a hundred bucks every now and then. And uh, Magic show business. It was incredible. I'd really come to the, come to the top at that point. But um, <clears throat> So your first uh, taste of show business was back behind the camera um, yes. in craft services, which sounds appropriate. Yeah. But then uh, you have also, I mean, you've worn many of the hats. Uh, and one of those hats was, I mean, I think that acting paid your way, you know, maybe glamorously or maybe yeah, my not vote, my voted sticker on here still <laughs> vote everybody this is a public service yeah uh, you so know, how did that happen how well, did you, you know it's acting? funny even on even on no brother um they put me in the last shot of the movie uh, just for fun they did mm. that in every movie i worked i ended up working with them for like five years and they put me in a shot i never thought of myself as i mean i always acted in our movies when we made stuff as kids but that's because yeah. there's no one else around yeah so and i think that the enjoyment I got out of making stuff and showing it to my friends uh, came from more of a sense of I made this thing up and I'm sh- and I did it all and I filmed it. Yeah. And that's what's funny. And not so much that I'm the person doing things. And mostly I made my friends act and stuff too. And you know, but every now and then I'd be in something. And when people laughed at it, I didn't think of it as like my performance was funny as much as the thing that we made up was funny. Right? Yeah. And that's what I enjoyed about it. But I really wanted to to, to direct, and that's what I thought I was doing. You know. Uh, and so, yeah, they put in the last shot of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, if you watch it, it's a long tracking shot. It's traveling on. There's a, there's a guy in an alley behind George Clooney and uh, Holly Hunter um, talking to an old lady. And he like leans up on the bench and everything. And that's me. Um, and then, they, you know, they put me in a little shot here and there in other movies. But um, when I. And so when that happened, uh, I'm sure the agents came running. <laughs> yeah. So. It was, so I was like 19 on that movie. And then I ended up working at a little production company in town called Stray Dog that uh, we, uh, when I was like 22, and we were doing like music videos and like local like cable access commercials and stuff like that, uh, like EPKs for record labels and just small stuff scraping by. And um, a woman, uh, Kim Petrosky, our friend Kim Petrosky, the mm-hmm. casting director, she, she had an office down the hall from us and, um, I wasn't an actor. I don't, she was just my friend. I would never do this as a casting director now, you know, but I would just, I'd burst in her office and I'd be like doing this character, you know, and I, I'd go like, listen, damn it. There's a 15 uh, crates of play in the parking lot. And I don't know who's, who, who ordered, but someone's going to goddamn pay for it. And she'd be like, get out of here. I'm working, you know, and just get out, stop it, you know, but I just, and I don't, I, I maybe made her laugh twice. You know, she, if you get her to laugh, it was, it was a score. That's still, yeah. But also I was, I was working on her, you know, I, I had this recurring character and always something being delivered and whatever. 
So one day, like 7 p.m., I was getting ready to go home, and she came in to the office with a tripod. And she goes, I can't believe I'm saying this, but can you do that redneck character guy? I got an audition thing. You put yourself on tape. So I didn't take it seriously at all. I just said, you know, um, kind of a weird impromptu interview. And I just acted like that guy the whole time. And I, you know, really played up the accent. I held my name tag upside down. I said, oh, God, I look out. It'd be, it'd be a real trip to get to be in one of y'all's commercials on television. <laughs> you know, and just kind of did that. And I booked the job. And it was a, a huge Volkswagen commercial directed by Jonathan Dayton, Valerie Ferris, NLA. And they were doing this bit where it was like northern accents fade into more and more southern accents. And so I was the, the most southernmost accent. Uh-huh. And I my line was, uh, people here and there wearing genuine cowboy hats. And uh, they, so I got to fly to L.A., first class. Um, you know, they put me at the standard on Sunset. We had a guy with it at the airport. It was incredible. Incredible. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I was just over the moon about it. It was so much fun. And I got there. And there's Jonathan Dayton and Valerie first. They're wearing cowboy hats. And. They're like, oh, I'm like, oh, you're Travis. Nice to meet you. I was like, yeah, wow, nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me out here. Like, like, well, you don't have much of an accent in person, do you? And I was like, well, I can certainly put it on when they take. (laughs) And they laughed so hard because they thought I was the guy on the tape. I never, you know, so that was super fun. Um, And then it was like two years later. uh, I was 24. I moved to LA, and I could to be a director. You know, I've been directing like little commercials and stuff. And I thought, well, I'll go out there and I'll find some way to. I had no idea what I was doing and who to talk to and. Uh, it was a really lonely place to, to move when you're a kid. You don't know a whole lot of people. You're a 23? 24, yeah. Mm. And I was just destitute. I didn't. I, all my savings were gone. I didn't even have enough money to you know, go home and give up. And um, so my buddy took me to dinner and he said, uh, well, you, you, you can act, right? You're an actor. And I was like, no. And he was like, well, I saw you in a commercial. And I was like, well, that was the thing. He's like, well, if you could do that again, I'll get you an agent and I'll send you in. And so he sent me this place called Dragon Talent, top of this building in Beverly Hills, and this little elevator, like one-person elevator. And you get up, and this door creaks open, and I hear, like, jazz music. And I go in this weird office, and Chaim Magnum and Robin were the agents. And Robin looked like a—she had this crazy red hair. And then Chaim was sitting there, and he had an egg, a hard-boiled egg, sliced in little slices, and a cheddar cheese just perfectly lined on his desk. And his name is Chaim Magnum. And they signed me up and sent me on audition a couple weeks later. Didn't have a headshot or anything. You, they, they, you, you didn't audition for him or anything? No, they just they said, just, uh, well, well, you know. By, well, by uh, virtue of the reference? Yeah. From your my, buddy? From my buddy Aaron Priest. He was he used to be a casting director, so he knew them. And, um, you know, kind of as a favor to him, I guess. They said, sure, we'll send you out. They send me out to a Milwaukee's Best Light commercial audition. Mm. And I book it, book my first audition. I was so clue. I think I was so clueless that I just it translated to camera really well. Like mm-hmm. just a dummy. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And all not nervous you know, or no. You just didn't have the sense to be nervous. I didn't know the astronomical improbability of yeah. booking a commercial out there. And also back then, all the commercials I remember would be like something crazy would happen, and then there'd be a guy and he'd be like, "Whoa!" You know, like <laughs> almost every commercial was like that. And I ended up being that guy a lot. And I think that. It was a genuine um, <laughs> look of you really were oblivious. Yeah. So I book a commercial, and then I fly home to Nashville. And uh, and we're talking like you book a SAG national commercial. It's not five thousand dollars. No, it used it's, to be really good money. I mean, yeah. Sometimes you know, with those, the first one's Milwaukee's Best Light. 
we do like two or three at a time about every six months and I, I, you'd make a it was non-union so mm. you'd make like a few grand a piece but they'd add up you know i remember i had at one point fifteen thousand dollars in my bank account i was like probably like 25 and i thought i never need to make money again this is yeah you know, i still don't have fifteen thousand dollars in my bank account uh, yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i think out of that debt um but yeah it was a uh, Really fun. And I just had no idea the improbability of, if I had any idea that like, oh, okay, you go into a waiting room and you'd see people look kind of like you. Yeah. Doing it a little better, probably, you know, like, that guy's me tall with muscles. Wow. And then you realize that's happening every 15 minutes all day long for the same role. And you just, you know, or same handful of roles. And so I got incredibly lucky early on and just started booking a bunch of those. And so that's kind of, I didn't take it that seriously until finally, uh, I started taking classes um, at this place called Howard Fine Acting Studio. Another producer. And there's a real serious, uh, you know. Acting studio. Yeah. yeah. Like if your cell phone went off, they'd fine you, I think, $100 and you had to leave. <laughs> like it was like that crazy. Yeah. And it was very method. It was Uta Hagen. And I just saw some incredibly talented people in there and just gave me so much respect for, for the craft and the mm -hmm. time and effort people really put into you know, trying to do it for real. And, uh, that was great. That was, that was, uh, and it's good, I think for directors to learn about acting and learn about what actors go through. And, Oh yeah. Um, you're, you're a great, uh, actors director. You know, I, we'd never worked together until Morse code, which you directed and, um, and co-wrote and I don't, we'd never like in any capacity. And that was a really high, pressure situation yeah sustained you know seven days of just like <laughs> and leading up to it and just yeah. it was it was a whirlwind of uh a hurricane more like of, of work but uh in 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 the eye of that hurricane which is you know a pretty good analogy actually you know for when the camera's rolling and the scene's taking yeah. place um you were cool as a cucumber, man, even in some real stressful situations. And well, that, like, as an actor... I'm glad I appeared that way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you appeared that way, too, because as an actor, you're looking at your director being like, you know, it's like being on an airplane, and if the pilot, if the yeah. pilot, the door opens and the pilot runs down the aisle panicking, you're like, shit, we really are in trouble. And, that's uh, really good. That, that's a very good analogy. It's, I feel like, yeah, uh, same, even when you're directing, like, you're kind of checking, like, you know, and when you're acting, especially when you're acting, because you're like, did I get it? I'll look at anybody, the director, yeah. the, the DP. Be like, Approval? You know, yeah. <laughs> Anyone? 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 A smile, a chuckle? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, So that's, yeah. that, that might have come out of some of that, you know, just front row experience with and as an actor. Yeah, I think I've been treated enough, too, you know, by, as an actor by directors. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's this assumption that... Um, that you, you know, especially in commercials, you're you're a you're a piece of the furniture, and they need yeah. to do very specific things very quickly and get these little beats and hooks, and that's it. And they don't need really much nuance to it. But we learn to communicate as actors about like we want to be told, you know, give some ideas. At least I do. You know, mm -hmm. not everyone works that way, but like you know, I, I like to be, um, and also. But not too much. It's like there's a balance. Like you don't want to you don't want to give somebody a line reading. Like just yeah. say it like this. You, but you want to give them some context, and that's when the really good stuff happens. When you just give people room to do what they do, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, you you had known that character for so long, having created the web series and, and done all, all that, those episodes already as this character that 
You know, it didn't have to come in and be like, you know, this guy, uh, he, he came from the, you know, you knew, yeah. you know. And so within that, having that locked down so well, it created a sort of a, a nice um, little little orbit for the other characters to kind of pull from, you know. Mm. Um, and, we weren't uh, starting from scratch. No. Uh, but also I would say as a director um, and, you know, maybe you can speak to this, but uh, y- y- there isn't one language for every actor. And maybe, you know, I think different directors have various levels of uh, versatility in terms of like a, dealing with different kinds of personalities because it's such a people job and a, a people skill set that, um, y- you know, you you know, actors who love certain directors love them because they feel, you know, validated. They feel seen. They feel like they do their you know best work. And that's a, a, a huge part of the, the talent of a great director. I feel like, what do you feel like? Well, you know, what was great was when we were doing, um, still the King, um, we had directors coming through all the time. So, you know, you had, we'd do block mm. shooting. So you'd have a prepping director come in and he'd be, you know, scouting locations and, I'm looking at casting and and getting prepped for that his episodes um, usually two or three episodes at a time and then another director would be in um, shooting so we, I'd be on set with you know shooting with this director and then um, but because I was you know I was still behind the scenes as a, you know an EP and, and a writer and all that stuff but I kind of got to float around and watch the directors and the different ways they worked and I also got to be a little bit of a confidant to the actors like. Mm. Because there's, I mean, we had to work with some incredible actors, you know, some amazing character actors that came in that have just done everything. And maybe talking to like, you know, um, you know Wayne White, uh, 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 who played um, uh, Newman on, on Seinfeld, you know, and just like mm-hmm. you see that guy you know, from Jurassic Park, you're like, yeah. God, I'm talking to Wayne White. But he was so cool, so nice and so professional and like, but he had a style of the way he worked. And then somebody else would come in with these very like... Um, you know, with all kinds of suggestions for a wardrobe and, you know, another actor. You yeah. Mean, yeah. And so you watch the directors kind of handle each one of these actors. And I kind of got to hang out cause I was in the cast too. So I got to hang out with the actors. So they kind of like, I'd get to hear stuff that they wouldn't say to the director, mm-hmm. um, good things and bad things, you know, mm-hmm. and got to learn a lot about, um, those little nuances and the way, you know, certain directors worked, you know, a couple of directors really pissed off some actors and they sure. didn't, and they had no idea. Crazy. You know, yeah. The actors didn't tell them. They yeah. were just, you know. Um, so uh, I love this and we're going to get back to it, but maybe we can get into how that happened. So for people who don't know, Still the King was a show that ran for two seasons on CMT, maybe 2013, 2014, actually 14, it was 14, like 15, 15, 16, 15, 16. And uh, God, was it 16, 17? I don't know. I know it was over by 2018, which just seems like. Yesterday. Yeah, maybe 16, like right in there. Yeah. Um, really fun time in the film world in Nashville because there was two big shows happening at the same yeah, time. Nashville and Silicon. King. And um, it starred Billy Ray Cyrus and you were the co-creator of it. Yeah. Um, and how, like, explain how it's, we're going through this right now trying to sell a, t- a TV show. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's no way, f- there's no straight line to from here to there. And I don't think there ever is, but maybe tell a little bit about, I know that the path for still the King was as crooked as any. Oh God. Yeah. It was crazy. You know? Um, so, uh, the co-creator Potsy 
and executive producers Shannon Houchins, Patsy Ponsaroli and Shannon Houchins, they Shannon had met Billy Ray at like a lunch or something, and he was Billy Ray was talking about uh, distributing his record. He had like a, a, Shannon owns a record label called Average Joe's, mm. and um, Billy Ray was like, you know, I got this idea for a TV show, you know, and so he calls Patsy, who was directing videos at Average Joe's and, and Hideout, their company. And uh, Patsy called me, and we'd made a movie in years past. And he said, um, "You know, you want to read this script that Billy Ray wrote?" I was like, "I don't know, you know." Um, but I read it, and it was like this really fun character. Uh, but you know, um, I was doing a bunch of stuff in LA, and wasn't sure I could be involved in it, um, and really was trying to get away from making like, you know, Nashville content about Nashville, you know, country music, whatever. Um, cause I just come from that world directing music videos and stuff. Mm. So, you know, I wanted to make crazy thrillers and, you know, weird movies. Anything but. Yeah. Nashville. And so, uh, I was in Nashville. I missed a flight to LA. I was, uh, catching a red eye back. Uh, friends that know me think I miss flights all the time, but in truth, I just barely get on flights all the time. And I've you missed almost a, missed I've flights missed all the time. Yeah. Cause a lot of anxiety for my friends at airports. Sorry. Um, but I, uh, missed my flight, red eye back. Potsy happened to call me and says, Hey, uh, they want to see, uh, so where, where are you? I'm like, I'm in Nashville. Actually, he lives here. And I said, uh, I missed my flight. And he goes, well, perfect. They want to see a script in the morning. And I was like, Potsy, yeah, come on. We're going to write a script today. And he goes, let's just write whatever, write whatever we want. doesn't matter. It's just an experiment. So we went and got a 12 pack of beer, went to his office and wrote. And I started having a lot of fun because I was like, okay, I'm going to write. So I wrote, this guy's a down and out, you know, loser. Uh, you know, you know, the, the character was this washed up uh, Elvis impersonator who's impersonating a preacher. It was That ground like worse. But it, he, he was kind of like, you know, a good guy. I was like, I went the, I made it the darkest character ever. Like he's got he busted for, he's busted with prostitutes after a joyride. He's on cocaine. He got busted by uh, the sheriff for sleeping with his daughter who was, hadn't turned 18 yet it was like i wrote the craziest thing you know pills and drugs and partying and just debauchery um like a dark hbo style show which is a huge departure from what we had read which was a script thing called nash vegas that billy ray had written mm. and about four o'clock in the morning i was like i gotta get some sleep and i got on a flight the next morning and that kind of had forgotten about it three weeks later potsy called me and was like hey uh heard from Billy Ray's people and I was like, oh, I almost felt like I was going to be in trouble because it was like, it was dark. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was like, they love it. They want to, he wants to play a dark character, you know? And, um, I was like, oh my God. Okay. Wow. And it was, then it was cool. It was like, okay, they're going to like, and we shopped it forever. Went through all these hijinks. You we, shot a pilot. Oh yeah. We shot a pilot first. We raised some money off of Billy Ray's name and the record label raised money. Um, and can I ask what you shot the pilot for? I think it, it started, I know, at like 350000 mm. Um, And I think it went up a little from there. But I think somewhere under $450,000 was kind of what we delivered it as. Mm. And um, so we spent some money. You know, they, they wanted to do a right. We hired a, a casting director. Um, and we got a real cast together. You know, we got Joey Lauren Adams. We got Kevin Farley. He's incredible. Chris Farley's brother. I love him. Um, we got, you know, uh, some other kind of like... Uh, um, gosh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., mm. who was on The Wire. So cool having him there. Amazing. You know, he's the guy who always goes, shit, on The Wire. And uh, we had him actually say on the, on the pilot, shoot, at one point. <laughs> um, 
And so we shot the pilot, but you know, you don't do that. You know, it's, it's I think that uh, we were blessed that our investors and believed in us and probably partly out of naivete, not being really in the industry yet, um, that you don't just go shoot a pilot and then hope it sells, you know. Of course, it helps to have a celebrity like Billy Ray attached, but this is, you know, still this yeah. is way before Old Town Road. Or yeah. So uh, we took mm-hmm. it out, um, didn't get too far with it. Um, at one point, they wanted to pivot and make it into a uh, four camera sitcom called Evil Inclinations. They hired a different showrunner. He, re- he, you know, kind of behind our backs, they rewrote it. Yeah. All this stuff happened. It's um, so crazy that it could be that far from the, th- I mean, it was one thing when Billy Ray wrote it. Yeah. Completely another thing when you guys wrote it. Yeah. And another thing and like maybe almost two more things. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, um, you know, bless them for trying to figure out a way, but I didn't like the, the four camera idea with a laugh track on a soundstage in, in LA. I wanted to be, you know, single camera shot in Nashville, gritty indie filmmaking vibe, you know, make little movies and shoot on location. And so Billy Ray called me and he goes, you know, Trav, you read this uh, evil inclinations. What do you think about that? And I was just like, uh, this is, that's a terrible barrel. It's great. It's great. Uh, I said, uh, well, Hey man, uh, happy if you want to go make it, you know, this is like, we're now two and a half, three years in of having shot the pilot, all this process of trying to get it made, maybe, maybe a year and a half, I think at this point. And uh, he said, what do you think about this evil inclinations? And I said, uh, I, I don't like it. I don't want to do that. I just, I had to, it was early on. I just said, man, go make that um, and, and, you know, pay me for uh, writing it, write, help, you know, whatever. Cut me out of appropriate check you can and good luck, you know. He goes, oh my God, I'm so happy to hear you say that. I hate it too. <laughs> he goes, we need to get back to that first little circle of us just together and back what we, uh, you know, went set out to do in the first place, you know? And I was like, well, I agree. I'm so happy that he said that he ends up firing his whole management team, hiring new management. They come on board and they're in that honeymoon phase of new management, you know? And they're like, God, we got a, a good looking pilot here. Got a good cast. You got, you got starring Billy. We're going to sell this thing. And I was like, that's what I thought, you know? Yeah. They marched it back into some places and we ended up selling it to CMT and Viacom. And so, and so what was um, the, how long was this? God, did probably this take place uh, over? I don't know for sure, but I think probably like, you know, two and a half years yeah. of, or so, you know? And, and meanwhile, you're kind of doing other things and what, I mean, yeah. it's not like you're sitting there waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah. Or, you know, I went and uh, made some little movies and, and uh, acted in some things and whatever, but you know, it was a constant, like, you know, you're doing stuff every so often, you know, mm-hmm. especially when we went back in. So Viacom bought the pilot, you know, um, and brought us in and had us re-edit the whole thing, which I was really grateful for because I edited the the original pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, me and Potsy, at one point we brought in another guy who, bless his heart, they gave him like two weeks to like recut it. And he was a, a really good TV editor. So he did what he could and, and made it definitely better. But that was the whole thing. I was like, we need a real TV editor. Like, this is a skill that is so, um, you know, so underappreciated. <laughs> Bless you. Thanks. And uh, so they had us come in and we worked with this guy for a month on just re-editing. Every day, eight hours, we'd sit there in the offices at Viacom and uh, Santa Monica area um, with this great editor. And he was like a reality TV editor. So he did not give a crap about continuity or mm-hmm. wait that's the exterior of that location he just didn't matter he's like this is better and we just started putting it together 
And what we discovered was our original edit was kind of sympathetic to Billy Ray's character. And he kind of this ho-hum kind of down and out kind of guy. And the better stuff is when he was like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, you know, and just mm-hmm. was like more like this wily e. coyote kind of, uh, you know, the worse he he acted and the, the meaner he was and, and more dis- despicable his character, the more dynamic he was and more fun to watch. So mm. when he's like flirting with the secretary while he's in court, you know, uh, on trial, you know, things like that, um, you know, yucking it up with the you know prison guards and shit like that. Mm-hmm. That was always better. So we really resurfaced his character and found a better edit of him and the show in general. And, and you were able, even from the existing footage, to tell a significantly different, if not story, side of, yeah, of his think, character yeah. just by the edit. Yes, definitely. The performance was greatly enhanced by this editor and us finding that stuff. Once we knew, oh, that's what's interesting is make him make him as bad as we can. It doesn't. You're, you're always going to be sympathetic. He's fun to watch. Billy so, Ray's. So, know. were you like cutting? Was the show longer when yeah, you edited it? I think so, it was okay. a. I think it was like a 32 minute thing. And then we cut it down to 27 minutes. And I think we ended up getting a cut that was like, came in pretty close to like what a network 30 minute, like 24, 22 minute Mm. thing was, but still, uh, and then like a sizzle reel and all that. So they had to go sell that still to Viacom and take it up to the uppers and, uh, and show them and, and get them to buy, buy into really awarding us the, um, so Viacom had bought it, but they hadn't like greenlit it or any money for a season. So they got to skip the process where they would go and go to pilot and make a pilot. We had a pilot, mm. but they wanted to QC it. So they brought a producer in and uh, Julia Silverton sat there with us all day. And she uh, she also came from reality TV. So, you know, there's a value to that that I didn't appreciate before that was like, you know, they just have to create craft a story out of out of just thin air. You know, yeah. yeah. So uh, they're really valuable in developing it that way. And um we got the buy, and uh, then I think we had 11 episodes. And right around that time, too, the presidency, the leadership of Viacom, that division of like CMT, like whatever, there's like three or four networks. I mean, there's a million networks underneath the Viacom umbrella, but our division, um, she had come from Nickelodeon. I uh, can't think of her name right now. But, uh, we're like, oh, gosh, she came from children's programming. She's going to cancel us. She's not going to want to, uh, you know, this is happening right as we were being bought and developed and about to hopefully mm-hmm. go to season. And um, she not only liked it, she gave us two extra episodes. So we actually ended up getting awarded 13 episodes, which is really cool. Um, so that yeah. happened. You were, did you get a call? What's that moment like? Because that's a pretty big win. And I'm just kind of curious such a about long, that feeling. It wasn't like that one, like moment where they call you and they're like we bought your what? shows going it was such a strong strewn out process you know like all those days going to viacom every single day and then these incremental little wins and then setbacks and then and at that point we've been batted around so much like couldn't sell it now it's going to be a four camera sitcom oh, yeah you're just like anything could happen. back to the drawing board you know who knows um, ultimately we ended up keeping about 20% of the original pilot and shot reshot the rest because we had to recast. Unfortunately we had to get, uh, we had to recast, um, some of the roles. Um, but, uh, because of the production, because of the producers, uh, executives, or because some, some of actors that weren't and available, and some of them weren't, weren't available. Like yeah. we had to re- we replaced Isaac Willock Jr.'s character, but man, we got Leslie David Baker, 
you know, who, who uh, is wonderful, um, plays Stanley on The Office, you know? Yeah. So just, you hear his voice, you're like, wow, <laughs> talking to Stanley. And I got to do an episode, like, just me and him, which is incredible. So much fun. And, I was snooping your IMDb uh, uh, earlier today. Oh, yeah. Uh, looking for bio de details, you know? And in, there's like a, the Still the King trailers. Oh, yeah. Proud right up front. Oh, and, yeah. And it's that scene with Stanley or, uh, oh, man. With, with him in the church and he's blind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. hilarious. He had to put those contacts in. Bless his heart, man. That's the, he, that's not enjoyable. They're not like nice. It's not comfortable. Yeah. So, and, and had to play a blind guy the whole time. So, uh, so it, how, how long between when it was bought to when, you know, was it just like, okay, we got to start shooting in two months and we're your hiring crew in Nashville. Like how? Oh, so yeah. Well, so we, I just want to maybe set that up just a little bit more by saying that, um, it's not, uh, likely or in, it's not at all inevitable that you would having sold the show, get to film it in Nashville. Right. Right. They and, even still were trying to get us to shoot on stages and get a few location shots and, yeah, I mean, because I, I can understand from their perspective, like, how did how did they know that there's crew? I mean, you know, they know for sure in L.A. that that's. Yeah, well, that Gare, had but... to all be kind of um, proven, you know, we had to like um, we had to fight for that, you know, Well, maybe it helped that you were, you had this pilot, you know, it's like, yeah, we did this. It did help to have that proof of concept. And the fact that they let us use a significant portion of that showed that it was quality and that that was that was good signaling to the executives and. It's all, they all just want insurance to make sure they get a good product. And so the, the production company had to be vetted. Uh, all the main crew members had to be vetted. They attached other EPs and executives to come and like kind of be around. They had to approve the UPM. Um, so we, we had a little bit of wiggle room about who we could hire. Like we went uh, pretty quickly into hiring our writers um, and they let us, but they had to be approved by the network. So we had... Uh, a long day of meeting, a couple of days meeting with writers, and we met a bunch of writers and read samples and all that kind of stuff, and put together a writers' room, which we had to really fight for. Like the writers' room, they wanted to give us a ridiculously short amount of time, you know, and they wanted the writers' room to uh, overlap into pre-production. And so, our, you know, then you're going, all right, well, you know, I'm here writing an episode. Pre-production is all about, you know, getting the pr appropriate props and the locations mm -hmm. and the cast for that episode. So. It just seemed like, how are we going to go into pre-production, you know, maybe for some episodes, but to not have written the entire season, you know, we really tried to make an effort to string everything together, set up things, pay things off, or block shooting. So we might be shooting part of episode three in this location and part of episode one and two at the same time, mm -hmm. just to, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, truncate our schedule and get to get do more so to do that and do pre-production at the same time just didn't make any sense. So we had to fight for a lot of that stuff. Um, we did you up, did you yeah. end up having the whole season written before? Uh, pretty much. Pre like we 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 got it to where I think we maybe overlapped by like two weeks. But the other part is we're going to pre-production in Nashville. We're not in Nashville. We're, we're our writers' room was in LA. Um, it was great because. I had not, I wasn't a staff writer. I didn't come up through that that process. And there's all this stuff, this etiquette that goes into that. You know, you can be a, a writing PA, writing assistant, and you start getting to be in the room. And then you know, I just heard all kinds of stories about like they made the assistant sit in the hallway all day, you know, to not be in the writers' room because that's because then they would 
were they was it a paying paying yeah, issue yeah. like then you could I, get I, a higher fee because i think who knows, it's, you might have actually had a hand in the script that kind of thing i think it was just mean okay. i mean i think it's like similar to being a pa on yeah. set you get you get pissed on a lot you know you know um so i had this incredible uh luck to get to be the ep writer in the room um having a say in the way the scripts were going and working with these incredible writers um, that I still work with. They're just fantastic people and they're really funny. Um, Did you like the experience of the writer's room? It's so great. It's like, you, you love it. Yeah. It's like, you know, like when we were writing together, it's great to have two brains. It's just so much uh, more efficient. It's definitely easy. You know, it's, more, yeah, it's more, it's more yeah. lively. It right? is. It's, yeah. You're not just like sitting there staring at a sheet of paper waiting for something to happen. Yeah, and you're trying to be funny. You know, this is a comedy, so like you, you you're, you're trying not to make, make yeah, you're trying you know, to make each other laugh, and, which can be so fun and so humiliating. Yeah, you know, you think you have a real zinger, and you have these all these smart people not laughing. It's that's pretty <laughs> tough. Um, but when you make them laugh, it's all worth it. It yeah. had to have been good for you though, too, because you it was sort of your show. You were like the low man on the pole in a way, but it was also you were like not going to get laughed out of the room. Yeah, so was, yeah. See, that was must have been a little bit nice. It was great. I mean, and and the cool part too was like, you know, we get to que we would question things that people don't usually question. Like they'd be like, okay, well, we're gonna get these corporate offices because that's what a writers' room usually is—an office mm. with like a conference room and there's side offices where you can go off and write your episodes or have meetings, side meetings, and, that, and then you have the the main room with whiteboards and you you write in that room generally every day. And we're like, do we have to? And then and the, all these antiquated things like. Well, you know, cost this much because you have a phone service and a coffee service that happens, and all, like phone service, like a secretary. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's an, it's an office, so you have a secretary, and you're like, I don't need, we don't need a secretary for what? Yeah. We all have cell phones. We're, you know, who's you know, we don't need a coffee service. There's a kitchen. So yeah. we we were like, we started looking at these offices, and so for a lot less money, we're like, let's get a house with a pool. <laughs> And right there. Mm. And so we just had a big, we found like a room, a house that had a big room with like a big, uh, you know, a big wraparound couch and a bunch of chairs. And we kind of played musical chairs in there. And we had a um, first season, a bunch of whiteboards. But then second season, we would use a big, t huge TV monitor and we could cast our computers to it. So mm. whoever's working on their episode while we're doing jokes, passes, whatever, would be on a big screen. It was great. And, Fun. Um, and we had parties there and we had pool parties and stuff. And yeah. We could stay there, you know, it was bedrooms and, and, um, that house was owned by the screenwriter who wrote the jerk, Steve Martin's the jerk. <laughs> yeah. And man, we pulled a really hard prank on uh, one of the writers, um, named Doug Manley. Um, <laughs> because that's his favorite movie. And so he was, we were just like, and there's cool, like memorabilia around the house a little bit, you know? Um, and, uh, the, uh, so we printed up a copy of the jerk, you know, and we aged it down a little bit and we put a fake signature, you know, from Steve Martin with love, you know, on there. We got in line and saw a signature and we copied his signature. And then we <laughs> staged this whole bit where we went and we found it in a drawer, you know, like I was just looking for a pen and I found this. And, you know, Doug was like, oh, my God, you know, don't touch that. You know, leave it alone. We're like, well, we got to look at it. It's super cool. And this played on for like a couple of weeks. We're like just leave that alone like don't touch <laughs> you know and then somebody had it out and uh it was just one morning it just sitting on the table and somebody's got their coffee on like, <laughs> you know he's like oh my god is that the, the script? Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah yeah shit shit and then you know somebody tries to oh my god there's a coffee saying so then we we're trying to get get it wet 
Yeah. To, and then it, you know, and then it's falling apart. Eventually, at one point, the script had we took the brads out of it, and it, and uh, a fan blew it into the yard, and we're out there trying to get it. And Doug just has to go in the other room, and just, you know, look at the wall for a minute. The disrespect! Oh my god. Oh, we had a whole plan to carry it even further. I just, I, I, we couldn't, I couldn't let it go on anymore. I think I, I was the one who finally said, okay, we got it. We got to tell him today. This is, this is going to be, and he was a great sport. Doug Manley's a hilarious guy and I, he, he loved <laughs> the joke, but at one point we're going to have a, an, we really were going to, we were really planning this, have an actor come by pretending to be the son of the the man who wrote uh, the jerk by Steve Martin. Uh, I mean, I can't think of his name right now. Um, and say, oh my God, what is this? You know, you know what this is, and and find the manuscript, <laughs> and then leave, and then we're gonna have a police officer show up, and the guy just gotta, you know, take a record of what's going on here, or whatever, and then the police officer was gonna be a stripper and pull his <laughs> his pants off and, and dance for Doug. We didn't get, we got all the way up to that last bit of the joke, you know. Yeah. Put eight writers together for a prank, and it's Man, like, that's... yeah. I had to be on the wrong side of that prank. Um, but that was a blast. And and, uh, and then second season, we were able to do half the room in L.A., which we just got another cool loft. Because uh, it was so much less expensive to rent a house. You know, mm. you were, it was like five grand a month for a house, you know, which is still a lot, especially back in you know, 2014 or 15. Five grand a, in L.A. doesn't sound like too much money. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe it was more than that. I don't know. But Even like, if it was 10, it's going to be cheaper than a yeah. office in yeah, compared Studio to City or yeah. something. So we did that, and then we did half the season, second season uh, in LA, and then half of second season writers' room in um, um, in Nashville. Like we got a little loft downtown. That was super cool. We um, like, we have, the writers have to be here, you know. Yeah, they have to see. We were like on Second Avenue. It was it wasn't like it was it is now, but like. You know, we're down there on Second Avenue, right Hilarious. by Broadway. Yeah. We walk out of this loft. How'd you get any work done? It's so noisy down there. I oh my like. gosh! You know, it was a, uh, it was, it was quiet inside most of the time. <laughs> I mean, besides us yelling uh, at each well, other. Kyle, how much time? What, where are we at? Uh, we're about forty-five minutes. Okay, cool. Well, um, I know that you got. We've known each other for a few years now, and yeah. I know for a fact that you've got stories for days. Um, and just your, your best ones, woods. you know, we'll have to just have. point me towards the woods in the backyard. <laughs> and I'll, yeah. Uh, but OK, so I'm just curious. Maybe you have some perspective. We have a lot of friends in the community that are talented and maybe, you know, just starting out or five years into their their journeys in film. And you I know that you have even recently kind of, if not mentored, at least met with some of these younger folks and. What's different today that from when you were that same age? I think, uh, well, obviously the access to technology, the ability to, to shoot stuff that's, that's really good quality on your phone and, and all that stuff. Um, I still find that annoying sometimes. I'm like, anyone could shoot a movie. You don't need anything. It's like it, it still takes a lot of uh, a lot of thought and energy and care and to make something that's any good. And even though, you know, even though the tools have improved, you know, you still got to put the work in, you know, to make something that's really cool. Um, but you still have access, you know, like, mm. you know, and the trouble is we have these limiting factors, right? When we're kids, you, it meant something to be able to get a hold of a camera, get a, you know, buy a mini DV tape and the physicality of it, 
the limitations of, of, um, of recording something, I think lent to a little bit more of the ceremony of making art mm. through this medium. And I'm grateful for that, having that, that foray into it. Mm -hmm. Um, because now it's all like little clips and it's just, it's, it's so like on demand content is so, so easy to make. Um, we're inundated with it. So the, um, the practices of like old film language that were a necessity, especially before we got into it, like when you're burning film and you're um, shooting film, like, you know, lighting it a certain way, you know, deciding you need an insert shot of, you know, something it took time and patience and money and resources to get that shot of somebody handing somebody a, you know, an envelope. Mm -hmm. So that meant something, right? To, to shoot that, even you're not going to take your time to shoot this insert if that envelope doesn't pay off in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that's lost now because you can just shoot. It's so easy to shoot the sort of storytelling principles that were developed out of a necessity back then, I think still really work today, really mm -hmm. are important. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'd encourage people to like play with learning that stuff, trying to. It um, still matters. Yeah. Like the, the old school rules apply, even if the technology has made the means available to more people. I think so. The principles haven't gone anywhere. Yeah. You know, you can push on those principles and that's what our tours do. But the, 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 the exception proves proves the rule in, in, in a, a yeah. large way. I, I also hazard a guess. I was talking with our friend um, Wes Edwards, great director and 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 writer. Yeah, um, he's brilliant, brilliant guy. And um, we were talking about the, just the difference between. There's almost like two parallel universes to me. Like there's like this YouTube community, the TikTok community, and this like point and shoot and content is king. And the production value is irrelevant largely you know is it in focus <laughs> even yeah. if that maybe doesn't matter can yeah. you hear it yeah you know and, and you don't even have to hear it well it's just whatever you're seeing on your screen does it make you laugh does it not yeah like, everything else is who cares uh there's that world and there's still stranger things and all of the shows that constantly are coming out that yeah. matter euphoria whatever um that are still high production value narrative driven carefully constructed um, long form stories. Um, and I'm encouraged by that. I don't know what the strike is going to do in the AI. I don't know. You know, I, you know, obviously lots of things are going to change as they always have, but I think storytelling is ancient. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it's like, I liked what you said about the ceremony, you know, of art. And I, I am addicted to that myself. Kyle and I were talking about it last night. Um, just the, I love process and, you know, we were just did, Rand and I were part of a 48 hour film festival. They had that this week. And, and oh, so I know you did this week. We did. Yeah, oh, we wow. did it. I, my buddy, uh, Tyler called me at the last second and wanted me to play the lead in one of his things. Oh, that's great. It's so fun. And so, it's done. And the, the movie's it's done. done. It's all done. Yeah. Amazing. It's like six, six page script, I whatever. I did that like nine years. Yeah. It's um, a great. It's a great thing. To do. So great. And actually this year there were 60 teams. So 60 films were made. It's wow. second highest in the whole country. So that speaks, that's really a nod to Nashville that there is something really happening. That's, a great that's fresh so here in town. Here doing, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, yeah, like I would say a shout out to our community is that it is the wild west here and it does feel like a new town in the sense in, in, in with the, the freshness being like this willingness to help each other 
people aren't entrenched in their ways. They don't like, this is my rate, man. I'm too busy. I can't help you out. People are like, yeah, I don't know. I'm actually free on Tuesday. Let's, let's go shoot something. Yeah. Um, there's a, this, it's cool combination of people that are in it for the spirit. They're not jaded. There are a lot of young people doing it. And, uh, also this competence because there are Watkins has been here for a long time or now it's been folded into Belmont Watkins right. film school. Um, and, and then those two big shows that happened here trained a lot of crew. So there's just like, and, and, you know, it's like, even for this 48 hour film festival, I was telling Randall on the way home, I was like, man, that grip, we got to hire him. Like that kid, he was probably 25. Yeah. Dude knew his stuff. And it just is like, when you have somebody, when you have a craftsman or a competent worker, it's such a joy to work with these people because it makes everything else easier. Absolutely. And you know what I mean? And it's I like to watch somebody properly move a light and just he doesn't have to mess with it and try to understand what's going on. Like what color temp it is. He just does it. Yeah. And it makes it like, OK, because we're trying to make something. We don't have a lot of time. And all of those little moving parts are so important. Um, yeah. A great example of that was making our pilot. You know, we made it for so little um, and there was so many people that came in. We just had to, this ragtag crew we had to get together and um you know, shout out to Ryan Featherstone, who's just the scrappiest DP, and Ooh. he carries around a five-ton grip trunk and a pickup truck, and um, and you know, we had to just kind of uh, grab who we could according to their availability, and everybody stepped up. I mean, I remember we were like blacking out the windows at Henry James, which is just all windows. Yeah, and <laughs> sixteen windows. Yeah, or something. extras were out there Florida taping ceiling. it up, like. Some somebody I was like, uh, thank you, sir. And who, Abby's who dad. Abby's like, dad. Yeah. So I'm Abby's father. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for standing on the ladder and taking. Was she our second AD or I? She was oh, one yeah. of the. She was on the production staff. But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> we had parents helping us. Yeah. Man. Who? I, I loved it every second. I was out there taping windows. Yeah, so you know. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, and it's just like you. You see that once you get the, the right people together. It's just a joy, you know. Truly, uh, it's a challenging thing enough, and I think sometimes people can get uh, caught up in the importance of, of what they're making and and forget that this is really for fun. You're you're doing this for entertainment. You're right. making this for people to enjoy, um, and we're doing it. It is really hard, but I do it because I love it, you know. And uh, absolutely to, to, rem to remember to keep sight of that. Be like. Do the do things that you love with people that you love, and it's uh, it the, the hardship of it makes it worth it, you know. Absolutely, and um, there is almost a uh, an antithetical relationship between commerce and creativity in a sense that I was, um, you know, I've been on a number of sets now, and some of them have like even paid sort of well, and the ones that paid better, like almost to a person no one gave a shit about what was happening. You know, maybe it was a big commercial or whatever. It was just a job. And it's not to say that there wasn't something to be proud of there because there's always craft and there's always excellence to be, you know, strived for. Yeah. Um, even if that excellence is like, I don't know the angle at which the camera is when the passenger gets in and shuts the door and the door is only this loud, not that loud, whatever. There's so endless details, but it's like at the end of the day, what are we doing anyway? Um, yeah, it, it's, it does like, it's so precious to be part of something where heart, heart is leading, you know? And when that sounds so naive to say, but 
uh, I find myself. It's easy to forget, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I I notice I ch I chase it like in if it's film or writing or acting or music, even it's like it's you know I probably should be more mindful of the the paycheck side of it, but it's I don't know I don't, it's been been fine, but I think it just kind of keeps you um, deliciously naive and ready to be charmed by the the thing that drew you to it in the first place and if you start doing too many things that you don't like then you start to feel that spirit kind of get damp yeah i mean i know uh, i don't don't knock anybody for working but mm. if if your dream is to make make art make you know uh, just make stuff that you like you know whether it rises to the the you know high arts or not you're making content you want people to see and enjoy um and then you end up doing too many things that you're like i just got to make a check and whatever uh i i think that it can it, yeah it can be debilitating because you're like i'm doing this thing that i love so much and i'm using my the skills that i've come to want to use for things that inspire me on something that, that i'm not inspired by mm -hmm. and there's plenty to not be inspired by out there um <laughs> But there's also so much. So I think, you know, I know it's aspirational to always want to do something that you that you like. And that's a that's a luxury. But um, keeping your mind on that at all times and going, OK, what can I learn from this experience that maybe isn't my favorite thing? But um, I'm trying a new technique. You know, music videos are a great stomping ground for that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm not crazy about the song, but I'm going to try this, you know, this new camera out or this technique, or some kind of thing. And then you add to your skill set because I mean, it's, it's absolutely endless, you know? Yeah. And on some level, it's just, uh, about staying close to that spirit of play. And it's like that, your, your story about the script and you miss your plane and Potsy's like, man, let's just, let's just do it. And you're like, I and then once you got in there, you're like, all right, I don't know. This is great. What if this yeah. happens? Yeah. What if this happens? Yeah. I mean, it really, yeah, absolutely. It was something I was, I was resistant to. Yeah. You know? And I think that, um, that it took a while to kind of get over that hump and go, well, this is the tools I have. I want to make this something I want to watch. Yeah. And when I just said, oh, I just, because I could have tried to, and we could have tried to develop something towards what we thought the network what, would buy. Or like what his people are going to like even yeah. or something. Yeah, his people, him. I didn't yeah. know him yet. I thought he was going to be mad when he read what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and but that was a great lesson for me. It's something that I forget all the time. I need to remember is to like make what you want to see, you know. Yeah. And I wrote the op. You know, I wrote something so far from what I thought they would want to see. It was a, it was a joke to me. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, I would watch this show, and I'm going to write this show, and it's going to be dark and crazy and ridiculous and and um, absurd, and the humor is going to be super wacky and out there. And um, and there's no way in the world they're going to make this show. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, but I didn't care. So, um, then it turned out to be the biggest job I ever had. So I think that was a good lesson to, that I need to be reminded of is like, yeah, don't, you know, I think that, that, that we get caught up in that, you know, we, we get caught up in that with, with Morse code. Who, who wants this? Who's this? It's like, uh, luckily when we made the show, it wasn't with that attitude. We're making this to pander towards a certain demographic and whatever. It was just a story we want to tell. I think that um, the guiding force in that moment was, trying to make something that our community would recognize as authentic. And that was, 
know, I think it was, that was daunting too. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's still, you know, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get called out eventually yeah. some oversight. But, uh, I mean, I thought that was a good guiding light, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it was between that and, you know, for me personally, I wanted to tell a story that like I felt was at least true to me. And I think that th that's for me in like my own create, like writing side, so much of what I write comes out of, um, my, you know, stuff I've experienced in my life. Like I'm in a sort of stable, um, introverted, uh, chapter, but for 20 years I was out every day, you know, out in the world, traveling by myself, meeting weird people, having just having unlikely things happen. And it, there's nothing better than having an unlikely thing happen in, to you in real life that you can point these are sort of like, well, no one can tell me that that's fake or false because it was so yeah. I can, I can own that. Yeah. Um, it's pretty empowering. Uh, but yeah, that, um, I think that you're right. Uh, with the, with Morse code, it was just, um, trying to make something that, you know, we, we liked. Oh, I was going to say another thing too, is that I think that you can, that translates into almost anything like, uh, the writing what you want to write. Um, when I, we audition a lot for stuff. And it's, it's really easy to look at an audition and be, just be like, you know, like right now with the strike and everything, uh, it's just commercials coming through and, yeah. you know, commercials are well, sometimes they're great, whatever, interesting. Most of the time they're just commercials and it, yeah. you, you know, and so you're like doing something and now if, like the auditions due tomorrow or the next day. And so there's maybe like a tiny bit of a groan or something. Okay. I got to pull myself out of this. Let's look at this thing. Set up the lights, learn set up the, the lights. lights. And yeah. then it's really easy to go. Cause it's, it is so competitive. I don't know how many people audition for, um, hundreds of people audition for these commercials. You get one for hey, one. You look at our, five. our, 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 our no budget pilot that we paid, uh, yeah. Know, scraps 500 for. submissions yeah. around yeah. for, yeah. Um, people are hungry to act I and mean, yeah. it, it's just really hard work to get. Uh, but it's, it's kind of easy. First, you gotta go in there and you look and the, maybe, I mean, I'm to the point where I'm like looking up the casting directors or I'm kind of getting familiar with these people, yeah. like what they're working on and, and you can kind of start to enter their mindset. And I always have to be like, pull myself out of it and just be like, let me see if I can have fun with this. Yeah. And I kind of often can, you yeah. know, and it, well, I turn, I, it's, there's nothing better than turning in an audition or I'm like. I, that was that was cool. Like I'm, I represented. That's me. You know, it might not be what you're looking for, but it might. I made me laugh. Or it, it, Randa, not you know, my wife Randa um, is a great actor, and she is. We're into it all the time with that. You know, it's yeah. like the same thing. And we're like, it's fun to you know play director to each other. Yeah. Um, and did that. I'm sure you guys did that way yesterday, right? Yeah, like, totally. I did too with my partner Ginny. It's like I, and I, I did her audition first, and you know did my, you know, directing thing without getting in trouble. Uh, and then it's always dicey. And, and then, um, I did my bit and I had to play guitar and like perform. And, um, I just, I was tired. We've been filming for a while, you know, getting the lights set up and everything going. And so I just was out of frustration, almost just started playing some stupid thing and making faces. And she just, and she's tired too. She just started cracking up and it, it just meant the world to me. I was like, I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, that, Oh yeah, I'm like I can be like, you know, I'm funny. Yeah, you're funny. I'm fine. So, and then I just kind of kept leaning into that, even though it wasn't a comedic thing, it's just, you know, something I do. But um having somebody to banter with is so is so great. Um in writing and in acting. And man, when you get to work with great actors, like it's just like you know, you see them 
listening to you when you're delivering your lines and reacting and really working with a great actor. Mm -hmm. That's what misses in auditions a lot. You don't get to always read with somebody who's who's uh, into reading with you mm -hmm. or uh, or a great actor, you know, or wants to be an actor. Um, and they're also not supposed to, right? You don't want them behind the behind the kind of be like, "What did you say?" Yeah. You know, you want you want you want to be like you're just a line reading, but um, there's nothing like that. Getting to actually audition, like we used to go out go audition with a, a casting director. You know, you go to mm -hmm. a place, you wait in a lobby, you know, you see people you nervously running their lines. You go in and you there's a person there, you know, going, "Okay, yeah." So uh, <clears throat> and they reading your lines with you, and it's yeah. like. Uh, I'm grateful I don't have to do that all the time, but sometimes you miss it. Yeah, right? it's not the, the nerves and stuff are kind of part of the part of the thrill. I just did um, a callback in person yeah. for part, and you get to go to Atlanta for that, right? Uh, that was a different one, but this one I'm taking so out. many callbacks, you know, I can't remember. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, but I, it was this was in Franklin, and it was just you know, it was uh, for some friends of ours also, which yeah, another, but I never worked with them, yeah. And, um, so that was another layer of like intimidation and, you know, it's like you, you learn your lines, but it's, you just, it's always, this is why I like acting is because it is fundamentally terrifying. There's yeah. no amount, no amount of preparation is going to tell you what's about to happen. All you can do is like, you know, your lines, you do the, you know, you prep the best you can, but then all of a sudden you're sitting in the room and there's the director and the casting director and your line reader and the camera's on and he's like an action and you're like here we go yeah <laughs> and yeah. it's all you're off and it's um it is it is a crazy crazy feeling and it's hard to put into words but it is like um absolute like to me it's like d momentary death of self in a weird way of like your mind is going because you are you know there's some part of you your mind that's engaged with the lines because you're you know you're keeping track and you're you're not just like like cutting loose and just letting the you know the spirit flow through you i mean you are but it, there's a it's complicated there's a lot going on all in that one moment and you're what you aren't able to do is like have like any sort of reflection on what's happening if you're doing it at all yeah if you're if you're actually in it yeah i mean yeah you know when we were making the show some days would be so heavy with all these different scenes and, you know, and, and so much dialogue to remember that, um, you know, when I got to watch some really incredible actors uh, learn a lot of dialogue really quickly and, mm -hmm. and just spit it out. And um, what, you know, a couple pieces of advice that I, that I got were don't focus so much on memorizing all the words, you know, know them, but also just think about, you know, how you feel in that moment, what, how, what the attitude is. Mm -hmm. If you really know the attitude and the intention of what you're supposed to be doing in that scene, especially if it's comedy, if you know like inner what what you really want, and, and you and you don't try to be funny or whatever, you just play it straight. Which you know, um, I find works better. You know, really being earnestly invested in what you're saying and not thinking about if it, if it looks funny or you're being funny and that's just a style i mean some people are just you know there's there's only so many like jim carrey's out there you know but even him he's fully invested you know somebody who's that that oh man cartoonish you know um but yeah like in the better moments when you're um when you're acting and you're 
with somebody and you're fully engaged, um, there is that weird schizophrenic kind of like moment where, you know, you're like, you know, that happened a, a few times on Still the King, like, um, cause I love to be behind the monitors, you know, cause I always want to be a director. That's always what I'm focusing on. How does it look? Um, looking at what we're shooting and also because we all wrote it. So it's so much fun to watch these scenes come to life. So sure. I was addicted to being at the monitor with the headphones on all the time. And then every now and then I had to go and act in the scene and a couple times, you know, um, somebody would be like, Oh, we're shooting, uh, this next. And I'd be like, wait, we're, we're, when are we going to shoot this scene? And they're like, they're like, they look at me like I was crazy. And they'd be like, uh, we shot that this morning. And I go, what do you mean? When? And they're like, dude, you're in the scene. <laughs> and that was like, Oh, like, I swear my brain's bigger than that. Wow. But it was that cause I didn't get to see it, you know, cause uh -huh. I was in, on the other side. So I think my brain just like, you know, that was a different it thing. Got separated. Yeah. yeah, yeah and totally. like, I didn't, this we're moving that. quickly. I didn't get to go back and look at a, you know, I didn't like to watch back stuff that I was in, you know, uh, do you, when you're auditioning, do you like to, like when you're doing a, when you're um, doing a self tape, will you watch takes back? Yeah. Oh, it's awful. I mean, I, sometimes it's okay. I don't know. It depends on what it is. Like if it's something like, uh, I mean, you have to do it when you're editing yeah. it to send in, but do you do it when you're in the room? Like, will you go check the camera and, and see what you looked like and go back and, and I, I sometimes will, uh, just to make sure I'm not, um, you know, I'm in the, I'm in frame yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Cause, um, um, and there's been times when I, you know, you, you put the selfie camera on so you can see, and I, yeah. I've stopped doing that because sometimes, you know, there's been a few times when I had to audition when nobody else was there and I had to pre-record. I just had only way I could do it. Like I'm in a hotel room. Uh, I, I don't have anybody to read with, or I'll put somebody on, um, on speakerphone mm -hmm. and they're reading with me. And so I would put the camera when the selfie camera and I would look at myself it's pretty good eyeline if you're centered up. Yeah. Right. Um, and I would look at me as though I'm talking to the other character <laughs> and that's a whole other that's weird mental yeah, hurdle. That's a, that's you're starting to get like yeah, a little MC Escher brain or something happening. You know, you're just like, uh, wait, you know, um, so well, yeah, it's uh, nice when somebody's helping you. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. Um, we probably don't have too much time, but, uh, what are you working on? You know, Right. What's coming up? What are you excited about? Kind of anything you want to put in that space? Um, I, I mean, after Morse code sells and, you know, we get yes. through our five seasons of television. Yes. Um, in the midst of that. Um, so cartoon, the lake mm -hmm. uh, that I created with Skylar Wilson and Emma Fitzpatrick. Um, and we're partnered with Peyton Manning, which is weird. And fun. Amazing. Uh, he plays say that now. It's public news. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, great. Uh, he, he's playing, a, playing Peyton Manning, who's retired, he lives on a lake and he's just trying to like be cool with the cool kids on the lake, rat side of the lake, all the old fishermen in the cool dive bar. And there's a yacht club on the other side that wants them to be their mascot, but they're really hoity toity. And they're trying to secretly take over the entire lake community, kind of like Goonies. Mm. And so these kids, uh, learn of that and they're trying to preserve their little corner of, uh, lake, uh, old Hickory Lake, we're calling it. Um, Hickory. Um, that's really fun. We're shopping that right now. Um, and, uh, it's been really cool, um, uh, getting to like write stuff that Peyton Manning says and his, you know, Peyton Manning voice, you know, he's, he's like a really funny guy. Uh, that's been cool. Um, and honestly, 
the things I think I'm most excited about are the prospects of just making really small movies in Nashville with my friends and mm. not worrying so much about these long, I mean, I'm, I'm taking some big swings. I have some much bigger projects like a sci-fi comedy called Stand and Dance Save the Planet, which I really want to make. Um, but in the meantime, um, while you're taking those bigger swings, because you know how it takes, the development process can take so long to get something bigger made and getting all the attachments and raising the money and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I've been really inspired by seeing these really small movies um, that friends have made. And it's a hit or miss, right? Somebody's like, well, you see my movie? I made it for $9. And you're like, oh, God. Okay, sure, pal. And I've been pleasantly surprised lately by people making these really earnest, cool, small films. Mm. Um, my friend uh, Ted Welch wrote a movie that I just went and saw called I Made This For You. It's great. Made it for like 15 grand. Wow. And um, Where'd you see that? I saw it. They had a screening uh, at the Full Moon Cineplex. Huh. Uh, and uh, it's like a little mom and pop. Uh, it's owned by a husband and wife movie theater. Um, and... Uh, they shot in that community. I mean, there's so much texture and personality right in Nashville and then right around here, too, mm-hmm. um, which is unexpected things. You know, it's not just, you know, farmland. It's like these cool, weird little communities, uh, southern communities um, full of intelligent people that are either peripherals of the film and music industry in Nashville or they just are doing what they do. And there's like those little towns that have been untouched by like giant corporate, you know, uh, paving over everything Mm -hmm. um and there's like little movie theaters horror themed movie theaters Mm -hmm. uh like the full moon cineplex where is the full moon cineplex Uh, i'm gonna say it wrong it's in hermitage i mean that's i think it's hermitage nearby yeah it's like 20 minutes from here yeah is that right sorry if i'm wrong guys but it's 20 minutes from here well ted's from hendersonville too so maybe it was maybe it's hendersonville sorry ted it's hendersonville yeah um (laughs) um but yeah, I well, that's cool, man. And, and I just saw Ted on a on a Justified. Oh, nice! Yeah, been, the TV it's show. My guilty pleasure right now. Well, uh, Ted wrote the Forty Eight. Oh, film okay, cool. That oh, I yeah. ju- just was in. Oh, great! Did he work on it too? He, he, yeah, he had a little bit scene. Oh, great! But I was intimidated because the director asked me to like play the lead, and yeah. then it's like it's a twins pr- setup, so oh, it's like two characters. Oh, yeah, so super fun. Uh, but then I have so much respect for Ted. Yeah, me too. And uh, I saw him on the call sheet. I was just like. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's great. He's, he's, he's a great, great actor. Great actor and, uh, and great character actor. Yeah, totally. Um, very. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's the real deal. Um, and so he shows up, but he was so nice. And then I didn't realize that he wrote it, and that made it even more fun. Oh, yeah. And then he left um, after his scene, so I had the whole day to not have Ted looking over my shoulder, which was nice. Ted, if you're listening to this, uh, yeah. thanks for a great script. Yeah, I mean. Um, that's such a great, you know, you do the 48 hour film, you know, we've done so many times, um, uh, quick, humble brag. We got invited to do the 48 hour invitational. There's six teams across the nation invited by the red cross. And so we had to be in collaboration with the red cross, do a something with the red cross. And we, you know, we still drew out of the hat, you know, your genre, we drew fantasy and our line and and so we made a, a, and we won the national thing. We got to go to uh, Washington, and Jane Fonda presented us with. A Get movie. out! You a, won the even the Invitational. Yeah, you won? the, the Damn, dude. yeah props. No, incredible team. Like pe- people that we worked with. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I had a small bit in it and, and, and helped you know write it. But 
we you do that. I mean, we had all these special effects in it. Like we just got together and went, okay, you know, mm-hmm. and pulled this thing off in 48 hours. And I'm still, I, saw, I watched the other day. It's great. It's like, you know, it was fantasy. So everyone was like a fan. I, I had three arms. There's a Cyclops, there's fairies, there's wizards, there's a dragon. I mean, all this stuff that we put in there um, in 48 hours. And you just go, God, why, why can't we just get together? It's like a, it's like a, um, weird crux because you have to do it in 48 hours so you're you're pushing yourself and your friends to make the best thing you can in 48 hours you know and then knowing that, that it's going to be done it's going like, to be done no matter what yeah it's just can't go back this to it, drag it out yeah. yeah and then you go why can't we do this for like a month and you're like well if we're gonna do it for a month then you know first of all you know it's, it's a lot of commitment second of all why don't we like then you go you gotta write it then you gotta make it good you know you, gotta, yeah. you go yeah but remember that 48 hours it's like so it's that funny thing, but it is a good reminder to be like, we're capable of doing something good, you know, mm-hmm. and you go and there's some stuff that's not as good. You know, so you see things, you're like, God, it, it could be so bad. Five minutes can seem like 30 minutes. <laughs> but in general, I, I'm really impressed with what people pull off that amount of time. Yeah. And I uh, would love to do it again next year. Next year. Ted, next year. That's that's probably a good place to stop it. Yeah. Uh, man, thanks so much for your time. This has been great. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah. Funniest guy in the room. And, uh, know, and a good friend and a wonderful colleague and a collaborator. And yeah, at, at the end of the day, if you enjoy working with the people that you work with, you're, you're winning. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to say that about you. And you know, you Randy as well. Would say the same. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's do it again. Soon. Thanks buddy. Let's do it again. All right. Peace. Upwards and onwards. All right. The Morse Code Podcast is produced by Corby Lanker and Kyle Noctegall in East Nashville, Tennessee. Our executive producer is Randa Newman. You can find full video of this and all past episodes by visiting morsecodepodcast.com.